Hello, everyone, and welcome back to SALT Talks. My name is John Darcy. I'm the Managing Director of SALT, which is a global thought leadership forum and networking platform at the intersection of finance, technology, and public policy. SALT Talks are a digital interview series that we started in 2020 with leading investors, creators, and thinkers. And our goal on these SALT Talks is the same as our goal at our SALT conferences, which is to provide a window into the mind of subject matter experts as well as provide a platform for what we think are big ideas that are shaping the future. And we're very excited today to welcome Trang Nguyen and Alex Bangash to Salt Talks. Trang is the co-founder of TI Platform Management, a venture capital firm that backs ambitious entrepreneurs, creating the world's most disruptive venture structures. Founded in 2015, TI Platform Management uses its $775 million plus in AUM to invest in today's most innovative companies and tomorrow's category-defining leaders. Since its inception, TI Platform has deployed nearly $475 million to numerous emerging venture funds, backed 47 funds founded by 56 entrepreneurs, and enabled entrepreneurs to raise over $1 billion from LPs. The firm has also invested directly in more than 35 companies. Trang is the former executive member of Trusted Insight, where she managed products and grew the institutional community to more than 35,000 limited partners. Alex is also the co-founder and managing director of TI Platform Fund, a platform for backing founders building innovative venture structures, same as Trang. He's the co-founder and chairman of Trusted Insight. He's a founding uh, investor in funds such as Initialized, Founders Funds, uh, Saster, among others, and an early investor in companies such as TruePill and Standard Cognition. Hosting today's talk and reprising her role as a guest moderator here on Salt Talks is our great friend Sarah Kunst. Sarah is the, the founder and managing director of Clio Capital, uh, a venture capital firm. And now I'll turn it over to Sarah for the interview. And I might chime in here or there with a few questions uh, as I see fit, Sarah, but you take it away. Awesome. Thank you so much, John. Um, and thank you so much, Trang and Alex, for being here. We are super excited uh, to talk and, and hear more about TI. So, um, you know, John did a great job, but I, I always love to hear it directly from you. So, so Trang, why don't we start with you and then we'll go to Alex. We'd, we'd love to hear kind of your bios and, and how you ended up, uh, you know, starting, starting TI. Sure. Um, thank you so much, Sarah, for inviting us uh, today. So uh, TI Platform Management is a platform for entrepreneurs, as John mentioned. Um, so we help entrepreneurs as they embark on the next phase of their journeys, uh, whether it means starting another company or setting up a disruptive venture platforms, such as venture studio or venture platforms. So we spend a lot of time at TI Platform Management brainstorm with entrepreneurs about different novel venture structures um, that they can develop. And in many cases, or you know, some cases, we act as the co-founding partners of these venture firms. Um, at TI Platform Management, I also really enjoy building the team. So one of the key things that I want to highlight is that we are one of the most diverse venture firms in the industry today. So we have recruited a global team members that is more than 50% female and 90% minority, including 30% Black and 7% Latino. Um, 
just in the last 12 months, um, we had back four black entrepreneurs um, and these, uh, you know, amazing operators and entrepreneurs like, like yourself, Sarah. So diversity has always been um, a important to the ways that, you know, our firm operate and evaluate opportunities. So that's just a little bit about TI platform management. And I turn it to Alex to talk more about what we do and his background. And uh, yeah. also why we start the firm. Great. Well, thank you so much um, um, for having me here, Sarah. It's great to, great to be. And thank you. Thank you, John, for the introduction. Um, so um, I, I think, um, uh, as Chang mentioned, there are, you know, there are many, many amazing firms. Some invest with um, founders in, uh, directly. Some invest in their um, in their uh, in funds. Um, we, on the other hand, um, would like to think we're trying to reimagine venture capital. Uh, we're saying, how can we be partners of founders um, through their journey? So um, founders will start building a single company. Then sometimes they will build multiple companies as a studio. Sometimes they will build a platform um, such as Sarah has built. Uh, and, uh, you know, so we are saying, how can we be there? their their partners so we're reimagining um venture capital and um and that kind of goes very um, uh, with my background as an engineer so i have no financial training um i started um, as an engineer at uh, at bell labs um and um, from there um, when I was in business school, uh, after starting an optical networking company, I started an advisory um, uh, service. And one of the key things that, so basically I was a scout for LPs. And one of my key observation is that the best, um, the best venture capitalists were the founders and, and those building um, great firms. So that's how I got involved with, was lucky to get involved with the likes of Founders Fund and Excel India and others um, in their early days, um, uh, including now you're talking about Coinbase. Um, I remember Gary Tan uh, investing, uh, leading the seed round of Coinbase uh, at YC uh, um, Demo Day. Um, so, uh, you know, when 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 Coinbase was giving out, uh, uh, I think it wasn't a full Bitcoin, but some fractional Bitcoin um, to to folks. So um, so today, um, uh, you know, we part partner with entrepreneurs and 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 help them. Um, help them create the next generation firms, uh, firms which will, um, which will be defining. And I think our big value add is, while there are many, many great investors, these investors also have to build their firms. And we help them with the structures such as studios, uh, platforms, um, API-based funds, and help them think about those structures and help them uh, 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 both as thought partners and capital partners in, in, the, in their journey. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Um, and you've been great, a great partner uh, to, to me and Clio Capital and I know many others and, and huge congrats on, on uh, the Coinbase IPO. I know you're in a lot of things that, that uh, do, do some crypto. So, uh, you know, that is maybe a great kind of jumping off point to, to the next question, which is, you know, 
what's what's going on in the market right now? What are you seeing in terms of of current market trends? Um, you know, Trang touched on diversity. You you touched on on crypto. Both of those are big trends. But but maybe talk through kind of all the different trends you're seeing right now in the market and and what you think they mean uh, for for other investors who are are looking to invest into startups or into venture funds. You know, I, I would say um, so. You know, I'm, 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 I've been through multiple cycles. I saw the web 1.0 cycle. I saw the web, you know, web 2.0 cycle. And maybe we're in the web 3.0, right? The distributed web with crypto and uh, or the parallel web. And I would say that um, with, you know, kind of every, there's always a boom and bust cycle, right? There's always a boom and bust cycle. And I, there is no question that, we're in the boom cycle right now. We're, you know, and nobody could have predicted it as well. Um, <clears throat> COVID has accelerated cloud. Um, it has accelerated AI. It has accelerated crypto, right? It has accelerated, it literally has accelerated industries which, which were uh, shunned by, by um, VCs. You know, you, you, I'm not going to name the VCs, but, um, you know, about a decade ago, um, some, some of the most prominent kind of Midas list, listers wrote, hey, we do everything except health tech and fintech because they're regulated industries. And today, some of the biggest opportunities are in health tech and fintech, right? And they've, they've massively accelerated. Um, uh, you know, you can see from, uh, uh, of course, not just the telehealth boom, but then the kind of the fintechs um, eating, the, eating the share. I mean, what is a square, square and uh, uh, square and Stripe and Coinbase will be bigger, you know, or are already bigger than than Goldman Sachs. So, I think there is there is this there is this trend um, of of you know people now finally uh, finally uh, believing. But there are there are some other um, other trends, and venture has become you know venture has become the largest asset class amongst institutional investors. So if you go back to, you know, kind of traditional investors, um, uh, almost a decade ago, venture used to be 5% of the portfolio. Um, and, uh, you know, there were, there were some kind of um, heads of private equity who hadn't even invested in venture today because of this massive acceleration of gains and also uh, reinvestment of, um, uh, for some institutional investors, uh, tech and uh, you know and venture, multi-stage venture, is thirty in some cases even bigger percentage of their portfolio. So I think I think those are those are some some of the trends you know that that we're seeing. We're also seeing this you know huge bifurcation of funds. Right. So, uh, you know, uh, about um, again, 15 years ago, there were um, venture. It was the, the, the conventional knowledge was venture is not scalable, you know. And, uh, you know, you had the benchmarks in the Kleiner Perkins with their small, small funds. And the thing was, this is a cottage industry. It's a, it's a, you know, mentorship model and you can't scale it and you can't institutionalize it. Now, you know, the largest private equity fund is a venture fund, you know, and um, the, um, the, some of the VC funds are raising bigger funds than some of the mid-market buyout funds. So, so I think there is this institutionalization at the top. Um, 
um, in maybe, you know, in 20, 10, 20 years, the biggest, um, you know, the biggest asset managers aren't going to be Blackstone, Carlyle, you know, Invista and Apollo, they're going to be SoftBank, Sequoia, Andreessen, et cetera, as they, 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 they create assets. Um, but on the, on the, you know, on the flip side, um, as these funds are getting bigger and bigger, they are getting farther away from the entrepreneurs. And that's why, you know, we partnered with you, Sarah, because you have this unique opportunity of, of, um, uh, of catering to those entrepreneurs at the earliest days, you know, and that's why we're doubling down on formation, um, things like studios and, and seed funds and pre-seed funds um, uh, where, uh, you know, and platforms where they are now taking the place where, um, uh, you know, kind of a traditional VCs used to do. So um, I, I love, I'll stop there. I know that I threw quite a few different different things. Trent, yeah, I don't know I, if you want to add. Yeah, to it. I, I think just to add to Alex's point. So number one, we clearly see that you know venture capital itself is going through a rapid period of transformation and innovation, right? So you know, as Alex mentioned, we see that you know there's a boom of disruptive venture models such as you know studio and you know other platform models like Clear Capital, for example, right? And you know this. Um, evolution is actually, uh, or this, this evolution is actually uh, empowered by COVID-19 and remote work, right? Uh, we see that, you know, traditional VC firms, you know, beside look beyond kind of like traditional VC hub, they start to develop a new way of capturing startup, right? So, you know, you see a lot of VC launch spark, right? Um, you know, or scale models and so on, because, you know, it's just very difficult for them um, to find, you know, innovation in their model. And to what Alex mentioned, you know, they are further away from entrepreneurship as, you know, they raise larger fund size and invest in later shapes around finance. So um, we definitely see, you know, the rise in venture studio. Um, beside, you know, platforms. So to give you an example, when we first invest in, um, you know, when we start the firm in 2015, I think like we can count, you know, in terms of a handful of studio venture, maybe two of them, right? Uh, today, you know, we have by over 10 venture studio, right? Um, so venture studio is very, you know, hand-on and more active, but it's also very attractive to a lot of um, institutional investor, right? So number one, LPs, they can get access in, you know, the same type of uh, serial entrepreneurs such as Elon Musk or Peter Thiel. Um, and also they, they gain access to um, a portfolio of startup uh, founded by serial entrepreneurs. And, you know, these same entrepreneurs would raise money from Excel and Sequoia. So in a way, LPs can get directly to the uh, you know, entrepreneurs without paying extra layer of fee and carry. Uh, secondly, you know, the studio venture is very disruptive in a way is actually enable the LPs to own more equity of the companies uh, until series B and C, right? So as capital become plentiful and as the traditional venture firms have raised billions of dollars and involve investment in later stage around finance, you know, these models uh, like studio are, platforms um, become very attractive to LPs because, you know, it's helped them with 
you know, you are like the true exposure to early stage venture, right? The second change that, you know, we see is that, you know, uh, which Alex kind of mentioned is that, you know, funds have a larger fund size and part of that reason because, you know, they're more unicorns nowadays and, you know, the potential upside also much bigger, right? Um, so despite the headwinds of COVID-19 uh, in 2020, um, the venture exit in the U.S. itself is 290 billion, right? So you have, you know, Airbnb go public at um, 100 billion. You have Snowflake at 33 billion and DoorDash at 72 billion and so on. Um, so, you know, 2020 is not just an outliner, but if you look back, you know, just in the past three years, um, a larger numbers, like the last three years, like there's more IPOs than, um the entire decade preceding 2018, right? So, you know, when um, a venture fund or a venture managers or seed fund managers, when um, they raise a fund, they should factor in number one, they're more unicorns nowadays. So, you know, and they also the potential exit side is much larger and the round side also has increased significantly, right? Um, just in the last five years, the round sign and also entry valuation had increased by at least 50%, right? You see a lot of companies uh, went to YC, they moved in, and now, you know, after YC raised a 20 million seat um, first round of finance or, you know, or companies that, you know, come out YC that raised 200 million valuation. So that's kind of like the trend that we see. And, you know, I think like as an institutional investor, we are, we should be open to seed funds raising larger fund size. And at the same time, uh, seed managers also um, should factor into account potential larger exit and you know, raise proper fund size for follow on. Yeah. Yeah, no, that that that's totally right. And and you know, we we see a lot of that in the market, I think, right now that, you know, companies are are going from zero to multi-billion dollar valuations incredibly quickly. And and often um, you know, the the earliest investors are the ones who who stand to make the most money if they have enough to to keep doubling down and, and really be driven by conviction. I, I totally agree. Um, so, you know, talk a little bit about when you talk about seed funds, not not all seed funds are emerging manager funds, but there certainly are a lot of emerging managers and, and TI has been incredibly, you know, supportive of, of many very early uh, emerging managers and it seems to be paying off really well for you. So, you know, would love to hear more about um, some of the emerging managers that you've backed and, and kind of who've gone on to do great things as well as sort of how you think about uh, investing in emerging managers, um, you know, for limited partners, for, for larger institutional investors, um, what should they be thinking about? Because it feels like most uh, larger institutional investors are, are just not adding very many emerging manager positions right now. So, so I think the, the really important thing to uh, think about and, you know, and, you know, we, we help you as well on this and uh, thinking is like when and when when an emerging manager um, gets off because there is so much noise in the market, right? There's so many different companies. They're no longer 
only at only in San Francisco. Um, you know, take take crypto for instance. They're global companies. They could be coming from anywhere. SaaS is coming from India. Um, you know, they're they're um, they're coming from different markets, and the founders are are, are global. Um, and this was true before pre-COVID. Now it's also true post-COVID. So I think what what is what is really most important and really hard to build is to build the firm to build a differentiated firm, right? So there are good investors like they were before, but being a good investor is less important today, you know, because you because the the deal flow is so diffuse. And there's still, you know, you could be part of a Stanford network or part of a, you know, part of a um, Square alum, alumni group or Uber alumni group, and you get some sort of deal flow. But it's so diffuse right now that you need to kind of build a better mousetrap. And I think that's has been our defining um, thesis that we want people to build better, uh, um, better venture funds structurally. That doesn't mean there aren't that you can't build a good venture firm by just a single person saying, look, I'm going to be really thoughtful. I'm going to be really disciplined. And I have a great network. And, you know, that was true. That was true for, you know, not going to name name the firms and name the great partners. But, you know, it was true from, say, you know, in the, in the 90s and till 2005, where everybody sought a particular partner. Today, that's not the case. You know, the, you know, in, in crypto, people will want different partners in SaaS. They will want different partners um, depending on the seed. And then, and then they have built, you know, they've built uh, different firms. So I think that's what's really important for us is who's building something really unique. Um, you know, and that's why, you know, we, we were lucky to partner with you, Sarah, because we think you're building something unique. It's, it's at the inception stage, but, you know, I mean, it's, as you know, it takes a village, it takes a lot, and it takes a very long time. So um, sometimes that's why we, you know, represent patient long-term capital, um, and we're not looking for some dislocation or not, not looking for some, some person who's just like, oh, I, that person is a great brand and and they have a they're a great board member of course those people will do very well but that's obvious uh, the non the non obvious is who's building like uh, you know who's building a great studio you know where they will they will build the companies who's building you know yc is great but you know yc is the beginning just like you know google or facebook was great but then there was whatsapp and youtube and you know uh, tiktok and there they'll always be they they'll always be the kind of the next big thing you know and that's what we are what we're looking for and sometimes we're right and sometimes we're going to be wrong um, but we see as a power law game you know um, one of our studios made a you know two years ago made 150000 investment and it's worth 250 million so you know there's asymmetric returns and it's this, you know the, the asymmetric returns from from coinbase and 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 um, airbnb and all these other companies and and what's what's even more exciting right now is that if you fast forward, like there's right now, we are in one of the biggest booms ever um, and markets will retrench. You know, there will be a time when people say, well, what were we thinking, right? Nobody will be in wanting to invest in anything. Um, but if you, you know, if you kind of fast forward 10 years, 
the biggest venture ex exit will not be $100 billion. It might be $500 billion. Right, and so if you had if you've invested at uh, 10 million valuation at that 500 billion dollar company, then you will have the you know the the asymmetric returns. So that's that's kind of the bet that we're making. Those are the types of people that we that we back, and we want to be we want to be patient. You know, we want to be patient, long term partners, and rather than you know particular names. I mean, there's lot of you know i was very very lucky to get you know um to get my clients into emergencies first fund i was very lucky that christaka let me in his first fund i was very lucky that the first round capital let me in their first fund i was very lucky that steve anderson at baseline let me in his first fund like they're all spectacular funds i i think you know after seeing christaka's fund i said i'll never see a 100x fund again and then i think gary tan might do better with his fund you know, so there'll always be someone better, you know, so. I love it. Well, well, hopefully you're, you're saying that about Clio Capital in a few of years. Of course, exactly. Yes, yeah, we're rooting for you, Sarah. Yeah, and that's 100x fun, Sarah. That's the benchmark. Yeah. 200x, that's our benchmark. Right, right. Um, love it. That That's amazing. And and then, yeah, Trang, I, I would love to hear kind of your your thoughts on this as well, sort of how you see emerging managers and, and where you think people should be, you know, should people be putting more money into emerging managers right now? Because it, it definitely seems like um, because most people are so overweighted in venture right now, they're, they're being very slow to add new managers, even though I, I think, you know, on the startup side, it kind of feels like we're in the early stages of, of sort of, you know, web 3.0, as Alex put it. Yeah. So um, I actually think um, in my opinions, and I think like with the same with a lot of our um, LPs and we have one, some of the most sophisticated LPs in venture. I think it's very important that LPs keep, you know, investing in emerging managers, right? Um, if you look at the last decade and, you know, we, you know, TI platform, we actually look at the performance of, you know, all of the funds in the last decade, right? Emerging managers have own way in almost every single year. You know, the top one only, you know, outperform established fund managers, right? That's why you see, you know, with, um, you know, another, you know, managers in TI platform would have another 100x fund, right? Um, and, and then back to my point earlier about um, a lot of traditional VC firms has gone on and raised billions in dollars, right? And they don't really invest in early stage venture, right? Um, they actually invest in growth stage and compete with private equity and also hedge fund. So, you know, traditional VC firm be become growth firm. And so the way for an institutional investor to actually, you know, invest in early stage early stage ventures actually through emerging managers, right? Because even with you know a lot of the kind of like early stage ventures that you see before Andreessen, right? You know, they become, you know, growth, they raise multi-billion dollars, um, you know, in AUM. So it's very important for LPs to continue to invest in emerging managers so that you know they can have a healthy diversification in their portfolio construction. And third, is that, you know, the churn in ventures accelerating over time, right? So a lot of the top managers 10 years ago, they know no longer the top managers a day. And the, a lot of people, a lot of managers are not in the tier one list. I remember I talked with one of the institutional investors um, actually just early in the week and um, the LB actually showed me the list of the top VC 
um, they they want to get into. And it's funny enough, Sugar Hill, right? Incubate in Snowflake and Snowflake uh, Snowflake position in Sugar Hill is actually larger than Excel and Facebook. But Sugar Hill is not in that top tier list. Sugar Hill should be in that top tier list. So there's only turnover in terms of generation. So it's important for ELPs to invest in emerging managers because if you don't invest in the first, you know, sec, first fund or second fund, you may never, you know, get an opportunity to invest in third and fourth fund. And last, you know, I think investing in emerging managers is very important because it's the pathway to invest in managers with diverse backgrounds, right? Because women and racial minorities make up a growing proportion of emerging managers. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And, and I think um, a lot of smart people are listening to you on that. And there's a lot more people who, who need to hear that message. So I love it. Um, you know, would love to talk a little bit about rolling funds um, and we're, we're sort of rolling funds and, and studio models and sort of all of these things that are not just sort of a, you know, kind of, hey, we write you a check after you've been around for a year or so. And, you know, we're a two and 20, you know, 10 year window venture fund. So we'd love to hear your thoughts about what's going on in the market, um, you know, with rolling funds and maybe explain what that is to, to people who are, are less familiar. And then also, you know, Alex, you mentioned uh, studio models, what you're seeing there, because it, it feels like there are some fundamental differences in kind of venture itself, um, not only the kinds of companies they're backing, but, but sort of how the funds themselves are structured and would love to hear kind of your take on some of that. Um, I think these are some of the structural disruptions, right? So if you if you look at what happened in the late 2000s, um, the, the cost of starting companies went down and you didn't need $5 million to buy a server and buy Oracle software, you know, um, to, to host a website. Um, so that gave rise to the micro VCs, super angels and YC, right? So I think we're going through another um, you know, e even more transformative um, uh, kind of movement today. And, and that, of course, has to do with low code, no code. It has to do with remote work. Um, now, anybody can set up a company anywhere um, and, and they can build things and they can get funded through, through these, these things. So I think, you know, um, I am not that familiar with, with rolling funds. And, and I think they're kind of, you know, they're, they're um, it, this is, again, my opinion. I think they're, they're um, um, significance may be overstated, but I think, you know, um, I can give you a little bit more about, um, you know, I can give you a little more about SPACs. I think SPACs are, you know, kind of very disruptive. They enable venture capital, they enable faster liquidity. I'm one of the biggest pet peeves of um, institutional investors about venture was the long hold times. Um, now with these SPACs, those hold times are coming down significantly. Um, and um, the, you know, there could be there could be a scenario where these SPACs um, you know, uh, replace late stage venture. Now that is a real possibility and SPACs will also go through their boom and bust cycle. 
cycle. So I think that could be a very, very disruptive as most people have raised these larger funds on the assumptions that these companies are going to stay private eight to 12 years or 13, 14 years. Um, now these companies can go public after four years, three years, you know, or even six or seven. So I, th I think it's disruptive to late stage venture. Um, on, on the early stage side, I think, you know, rolling funds are very significant. Um, we are not focused on that. I, I think and it's harder for institutionals to, to play on it as well. So rolling funds are a little like crypto and ICOs and stuff. They are, you know, they're less controllable, less, uh, uh, let's e let, you know, not easy to, thing and um you know kind kind of um with crowdfunding uh, but but um what has actually happened is um today and trying trying alluded to this a little bit um is uh today founders can build a portfolio so the cost of companies has gone down so much and with low code no code you actually don't need a founder um doesn't need to go to a VC for one-to-one -one company. You know, before a founder only could go to a VC with one company. Now, um, with with all you know, with, with cloud and remote work and low code, no code, and, and distribution tools, the founders say, "Well, um, yeah, you know, I'm going to spend half a million dollars testing out five ideas." And you know, I want to I want to launch three out of five or two out of five, and I don't so so that's that's kind of a unique opportunity, and then you're also seeing these same founders now, you know, you're seeing a lot of part time funds which was not there, and that's of course ro rolling funds are a contributor to that, right? Uh, but I I don't think it's the sole contributor. There are VCs who will give you money. There are some LPs or non-traditional LPs, they'll give you money. There's some family office. They say, yeah, well, we'll give this, this person money on the side because they have great deal flow while they build their companies. So, you know, um, um, that, that has created a, a lot of opportunity on the, on the early stage. Um, and it's also created a lot of noise. So, you know, um, I, I think that, of course, there'll be many, 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 many winners, um, but there will be some, some, you know, some next generation firms that will get really good at them. So, so basically there will be factories of startups, right? So I think there will be factories of startups that build these things. There'll be factories of startups that accelerate. And, and you're seeing that in Y Combinator. I mean, it's unbelievable. Y Combinator does more in one demo day than what some of the what a top VC, you know, some of the best names on Silicon Valley have done, you know, um, in, in 20, 25 years. So, you know, they've gotten to that scale and we are going to see, and I think that's the beginning, right? We're going to see other manifestations of that. We're going to see that in not just in acceleration, but we're going to see that in building. Um, and of course, um, you know, you saw, you saw that with what Mike Spicer did with, with Snowflake. I mean, they built, they incubated Snowflake. The point, however, is the point, however, is that these things are not easily replicated, right? Um, so, so, you know, it's not easy to build a Y Combinator. It's not easy to build a, a Snowflake. It's really hard. It's not easy to build uh, Clio Capital. That's why you, you're doing it, Sarah. So.
Yeah, I, I agree. It is certainly not easy. And, and you see a lot of people try and, you know, they sort of put in similar things and, and they don't get the same results out. And, you know, it's, it's interesting with the Y Combinators of the world because there have been so many um, accelerator programs and so many incubators and so many of them have, have failed. And, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see, uh, you know, if, if, you know, with these studios, with the rolling funds, with the part-time funds, with all of these new models, you know, is it something that, that makes the overall pie bigger or is it something where, you know, a lot of people fail and there's just sort of one or two quick, you know, breakouts in each category. And so, so it's interesting, but, you know, I, I personally think that overall it's, it's really positive because, you know, when you look at venture dollars, there are more and more money, there's more and more money flowing into venture capital, but the vast majority of it flows into the later stages. And, and, you know, the reality is that, that it often seems like really early stage founders are, are a little bit underfunded. And so, you know, would, would love to hear, your thoughts on that? There's there's a lot of talk of sort of there's too much money chasing too few few deals and and do you feel that's true, particularly on the early stage side, or, or do you think there's a lot more space for for more great companies to be built? I, I think there's a lot more space for great companies to be built, but I always and this is what we do in both with funds and with companies. You know, we like the people who are misunderstood. I, I would never chase the hard funds. We always back the underdogs. Uh, we always back the people who are misunderstood. And that doesn't mean that the, you know, kind of the, um, the, the top dogs or the, the most, you know, the kind of the, the, um, the, the people who win the beauty contest won't do well. In a lot of cases they do, but that's not, that's not our DNA. That's not the people we back. Um, and, you know, and a lot of times, um, you know, those are the folks that are building something really substantive and it also goes to pricing, right? So, um, the 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 companies that are you know that are really hot they tend to get overfunded and their pricing is um you know is um they're, they're fully priced or you know priced for perfection um and the 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 best opportunities are the ones that are you know that are um, I think so you know not to name names but actually 18 months ago um or last year you know we we had three three lending companies in our portfolio and and we were like very concerned. Everybody we talked to, they were like, oh, every time there's a change in the credit cycle, the first, first companies to go, um, the lending companies just get completely wiped out, right? They, have, they get no second chance. And you know, just a, a year after that today, I think two out of the three have raised billion dollar, billion dollar valuations. Um, and lending is, is uh, uh, hot again. It's called buy now BNPL, buy now pay later. So it's funny how things that are out of favor will become become in favor. And you know, uh, so the the trick the trick is to find those um, you know those uh, um, founders who are building substantive companies, not the not the ones that are building popular companies. And sometimes VC becomes a popularity con contest, right? So it's all the hot people. So if like, oh, well, they have this in their portfolio. We need to have a similar company in their portfolio. So um, unfortunately, VC is, you know, VC and LP is not a courage game. It's not a courage of conviction. And that's what we thrive on. You know, we, we like to back the, you know, back managers and companies with the courage of our conviction. Right, and I agree with Alex on 
in terms of there's a lot of space for early stage companies uh, being built. And, you know, on the institutional side, we like, if you look at last year in 2020, the majority of the ELP's capital actually go into later stage and, you know, established managers given the uncertainty in the market. Um, but, you know, and, and I think Sarah, you mentioned about why Combinator, you know, you know, you see a lot of accelerators come and go and why Combinator has a brand and network effect. Um, but, you know, on the studio venture side, I actually think there's space for a lot of studio ventures and they are not competing with each other because, you know, the studio is formed by proven entrepreneurs and, you know, they are factory creating multiple companies. So they, you know, as there's more, um, successful and, you know, um, proven and serial entrepreneurs, um, you know, we expect to see more studio in the future and that's where a lot of startup can be formed. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that there's just, there's so much uh, in front of us when it comes to building awesome companies. And, you know, I, I focus mainly on the U.S., um, but, but you know, as, as Alex, as you mentioned, kind of about the, the, global kind of, you know, rise of so many amazing companies. Um, where outside of the U.S. Are, are you guys excited about right now? Where are you looking? Where are you investing? Um, and, and, and where should the rest of us be looking? Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the really exciting uh, thing is that the lines are getting blurred. So we it's like that, well, we can only invest 25% outside the U.S. So just earlier today, um, we, we talked with an Indian entrepreneur, um, he he's he's building a uh, you know a company in the blockchain space. The com- he he he's an Indian. He was an Indian entrepreneur, incorporated in Malta, and now has companies headquartered in San Francisco. So, you know, is that an Indian company? Is it and is funded by an Indian VC? Right? Is that an Indian company? Is it a <laughs> European European investment or is it? A, so these lines are incredibly getting you know getting blurred. And look at UiPath is going to go public. Is that is that a Romanian startup or is it a, you know is it a Silicon Valley startup? So and, and thankfully so because that's how it should be. You know we want to back people with global ambitions. Right, global ambitions and why should it be, you know, and I think most LPs have been trained when they invest in private equity in, in sub-Saharan Africa, it's sub-Saharan Africa. When they invest in Eastern Europe, it's, it's Eastern Europe GDP, Eastern Europe currency risk. When you invest in, a, you know, Eastern European, um, uh, we seek, you know, venture company, they are global. They could be incorporated in Delaware. Today, we're seeing amazing companies from SaaS companies, SaaS and infrastructure companies from Chennai, India. You know, who would have thought that Chennai is going to be a hotbed of SaaS and, and, and developer-facing tools? So, so and, and those companies aren't incorporated in India. They're incorporated in Delaware. So, so that's the point. And you're seeing that in, in, in crypto. And so across the board, I think, you know, amazing, amazing companies coming out of Europe, um, you know, and, and then the flip side is also true. So when we were talking with one of our partners and they said, you know, you know, you know what, Alex, today the contrarian thing is to invest in Silicon Valley because Silicon Valley is so out of favor. <laughs> All the VCs have left Bay Area. So, you know, I think there will be, there will be innovation coming out of everywhere. Um, uh, you know, um, people serving 
these different markets and you 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 know so so saas tools developer tools they're global um, but then sometimes fintechs you need you know in fintechs you will need fintechs for each geography you will need need the, the neo banks from brazil can't be ported over to southeast asia you know so you will see see um see kind of fintechs geography by geography and you could build you know huge companies in each geography in in india in europe in latam in in uh, you know um in, in lending companies and neo banks and payments companies and insurance companies so so i think um, you know the regulated industries will be more geography by geography um but you will have see global companies come out of uh, you know a lot of uh, um uh, a lot of geographies in and and you're seeing right you said coupang come out of um uh, korea and uh, freshworks come out of india and you know, So 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 Silicon Valley is your favorite new emerging market that's what I heard. There you go for Silicon yeah yeah if you want to take the contrarian uh, contrarian approach right and say yeah Sil- your the most contrarian thing you can do is invest in Silicon Valley now Exactly no I I I love the the global approach I I think that you know that it it it's so short-sighted to think that um you know where when you look at where people live and and you know especially the the younger generations uh where they're concentrated geographically it feels that there is like a lot more investing to be done um in areas outside of the US and Europe so I love that um this has been great um do you have any kind of last thoughts for us as we wrap up what are you most excited about right now in the tech world um you know um i i think um i'm just most excited about you know how all this will unfold right so i don't know whether there will be a bloodbath and i and there's always this boom and bust cycles you know um but what i know is that venture unlike all these other asset classes um you know we've seen that venture is actually getting bigger and bigger and the big the big vc funds will do great the emerging managers will grow great the new models will do great right there's room for everyone to grow um and then also i i think that that um you know venture is what's so exciting is that venture is one of the few places which does well by doing good right so i think we're seeing the resurgence um resurgence of kind of um climate focused funds and maybe this time they're better you know now we're building the infrastructure we're building the lego blocks we're building the developer facing tools the apis the sdks to to take on the challenges of of climate it's not you know the uh, the the kind of the climate one dot uh clean tech uh, 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 you know investing that we saw um so i think that's that's what's most um, um exciting um and it's also been you know um it's also kind of uplifting like venture is a thing which is you know doing 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 good while doing well so that's right. what's uh, most exciting um, i think just to, to add to alex boy i think you know just last year we see you know the um you know the the exit of snowflake kind of proven our studio model investing so you know i think like for us sti platform we're very excited about you know as more entrepreneurs setting up you know new venture structure we got to involve in a lot of more um you know novel structures and you know many of them will result in you know exceptional returns So um you know we just spoke with one of our fund managers last night that um 
create an amazing platform like yourself, Sarah, and um, her 2018 vintage fund is already at 8.5x. And there's a lot of room to grow from there. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. That's super exciting. Well, those are very exciting numbers to end on. So thank you guys so much um, for, for coming on. And hopefully we, we get to see you at a SALT conference in person soon as well. Absolutely. I just got out of the way and let you guys run because it was such a, a good conversation. So uh, thanks again, Sarah, for, for introducing us to Alex and Trang. And thanks for joining SALT Talks. And like Sarah said, we we're getting back, hopefully, the in-person uh, conference game starting in September in New York. And you talk about being a contrarian, Alex, and investing in Silicon Valley innovation. We feel the same way about New York City. You know, New York City has <laughs> been called dead once or twice, uh, but, but we're, you know, putting our flag back in the ground here. And, and uh, we're going to come back with our conferences and, and get, get back into the city. And I'm actually in the office today, so it feels good to, to start getting back to it. Awesome. awesome. But thank you for having us. Thank you for thank having you us. Thank you so much, Sarah. And thank you, everybody, for tuning in to today's SALT Talk uh, with Trang Nguyen and Alex Bangash from TI. Just a reminder, if you missed any part of this talk or any of our previous SALT Talks, you can access them all on our website. It's salt.org backslash talks and also on our YouTube channel, which is called Salt Tube. We're also on social media. On Twitter is where we're most active at SALT Conference, but we're also on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook. And please spread the word about these SALT Talks, especially if you have a, a young, aspiring technology or venture investor, I would point them to uh, this great conversation here today. They can learn a lot about taking sort of a contrarian mindset and how to find, uh, like Alex and Trang were talking about, true entrepreneurs and not just engaging in that popularity contest that's so often the case in Silicon Valley. But on behalf of Sarah, this is John Darcy signing off from Salt Talks for today. We hope to see you back here again soon. <laughs>